Coming up in this podcast, super pit sale, hotel openings, infrastructure funding, Scarborough agreement, mining developments, apartment approvals, agribusiness, and our special report on disability employment. Welcome to Mark My Words, the weekly podcast from Business News, with Mark Pownall and Mark Beyer discussing the important business news and data stories from Western Australia. Welcome to our weekly podcast and welcome again, Mark Beyer. Mark, a very positively themed bulletin this week, I think. Uh, let's start with Saracen Minerals took a half share of the Kalgoorlie Super Pit. That's a pretty big deal for Raleigh Finlinson's company. A very big transaction, uh, $750 million US dollars is what they're paying for a half share of the super pit. So look, a, an iconic uh, project, uh, it's been operating for about 30 years um, in its current form. Um, it was really an aggregation of what had been lots of small mining operations um, right on the doorstep of Kalgoorlie, one of the biggest gold mines um, in the world for many years. A lot of people had thought it was past its prime. Um, it's a very mature asset, obviously. And last year, there was a collapse of the pit wall, and that's adversely affected production. It's fallen very substantially. Uh, but Raleigh Finlayson, uh, someone who grew up in the area, and he and quite a few of his people had previously worked on the asset, and he's being very bullish about the long-term opportunity there with the super pit. Mm. So. Historic, it's been owned for many years by uh, Newmont and Barrick Gold, so two big American companies in a joint venture structure. Yep. Uh, the operator is Newmont, and they will continue to be the operator, um, but under a joint venture structure, where, which Saracen will be represented on. Um, but they've spent about two months doing due diligence on this asset. And when Raleigh did his presentation early in the week, uh, he said he was pleasantly surprised. Because of the ownership structure, there'd never been a great deal of visibility about what was going on inside the super pit and the reserves and the resources and the exploration potential. Um, but his view is that there's a lot of upside there. So current reserves, they can keep on mining for about 12 years, uh, and he sees a long-term future beyond that. Mm. Um, he also talked about... Uh, getting production back to historical levels. So last year it fell to about just under 500,000 ounces. Yeah, that's so right. Still because, of, because of the, uh, the, the, pit wall. the pit wall collapse. And there's about three and a half years of remediation work that needs to be done on right. the pit wall. But once that's done, um, he talks about production getting up, back up to about 700,000 ounces. And do they then presumably have they, that 350,000 of that is theirs? Absolutely. Got it. Yep. And you also talked about growth potential at their other assets, Thunderbox and Karasu Dam. They've been working on growth options there, um, and he's pretty bullish on them. Mm -hmm. So all in all, uh, you know, uh, they've done a big capital raising to fund this. Um, it really uh, lifts the profile of Saracen a great deal sure. uh, in terms of their overall production profile. So I'm, you know, I'm really curious about this, and maybe it's my lack of understanding of the gold sector, but first of all, as a producer of gold, it's not like you have a, a, a contract with somebody else out there that you've got to deliver, right? So this is not like an insurance policy that they can deliver ounces of gold to somewhere, right? So uh, secondly, so it doesn't, it just adds to the amount of gold they sell, which effectively they flog to the... Perth Mint and the Perth Mint refines it and sells it wherever, right? But there's a, a very large, you know, deep market globally for gold. I understand that. Just, don't get the me price wrong. just goes up and down. Don't get me wrong. So then, second part is, 
they're not operating the mine. So you'd presume that Saracen has some skill set around operating that they would therefore employ. That would be their reason to take over something. Now that hasn't happened. So, and I guess thirdly, they are saying that the data shows something better than they expected. Now, unless they've viewed the data differently than both the existing or the, the, the vendor and the other operating partner, I'm just assuming everyone's got the same data. There must be a different view on what, the price of gold or well, what it's worth? Or A couple of points there. For Newmont and Barrick, it wasn't one of their biggest assets. Got it. You know, these are global companies. Yep. So for Saracen, it's a very big asset. I understand. For Newmont and Barrick, it's uh, almost a non-core asset. Yep. So you know, their focus was on other operations that they had around the world. Um, and then sort of sitting in the background was the super pit that just sort of chugged along year in, year out. Got it. Um, so that was part of the issue there around limited visibility on what's yeah. going on. And, it, yeah. and the other issue you raised about being an operator, I mean, mm. look, that's a question that a lot of people have been asking uh, because, yeah, that's where you'd expect someone like Saracen to value add. Mm. Now, their view is that there's a, a joint venture committee uh, with two reps from each of the owners uh, and Saracen certainly sees themselves as um, sort of equal partners in the operation long term. Got it. Nonetheless, Newmont is the operator. Mm. Yeah, they've been in there for a long time. It remains to be seen how that joint venture relationship pans out. Got it. All right. And look, the only other query I've got is, you know, we haven't heard about it much lately, but there was all that issue around the expansion of the mine eating into particularly into boulder from rec- from recollection the, the the other part of kalgoorlie boulder you know the, the mine that ate the town kind of thing has that receded or how has that been dealt with uh look i'm really not up to deep detail on the latest on that apology but, um, question without notice <laughs> i'd say this certainly the way they're talking about it there's, there's the open pit but there's mm. also the mount charlotte underground operation as well yeah right okay okay so, all right no no i just i was intrigued by that because it just seems so different than what I would expect and uh, and like I say if you're a you know whether you're producing iron ore or LNG or fertilizer typically you have a market to meet and customers who want it and getting a guaranteed supply of a certain volume gives you some sort of you know market security as well but uh, in this instance it's there's you know it's it's just a different beast. Um, Now Mark switching subject Three new hotels have opened this week. That's a pretty, that's a big, you know, sort of positive outcome, I suppose, on yep. on this building spree that occurred uh, and has been going on for the last couple of years. Yep, and three very different projects, uh, all adding a lot to the CBD. You know, lots of commentary recently about uh, all the issues in the CBD and how dead it is. Well, there's a lot of money being invested in there mm. um, and, and new places for people to go. Uh, down at Elizabeth Quay, there's the Ritz-Carlton, so uh, you know, a, a famous brand name, um, and that's now open for business. Yep. Um, up Hay Street towards West Perth is the Adnate, so that's an art series hotel. There's a whole range of these around the country and, and internationally. Yep. Uh, this is the one that's got a quite spectacular mural on the side wall. Yeah, so it as, is. As you it's walk amazing. up Hay Street towards yep. West Perth, you can see that. and like these new developments, new bars and new restaurants and, and hospitality options yep. inside there. Rooftop bars, I'm assuming? I'm not, not 100% sure on that one. <laughs> All <laughs> right, time to find out. And then the third one is the Royal. That's the one on the corner of 
William Street and Wellington Street. So an old pub mm. uh, built in the 1800s, um, you know, a, a rare thing in central Perth, a, uh, almost a colonial era building. And it's been up behind scaffolding and uh, been looking, you know, for almost my entire life. I can't remember it ever being a, an inviting <laughs> location. But it looks sensational now. Yeah. Uh, John Parker, he's the guy behind The Standard in Northbridge. It's been a very successful venue. He yeah, bought just it. about throw a rock from there, from The Standard to this one, You actually. could indeed. Yeah. That's right. Walk through Yagan Square and you go from one to the other. Yep. Uh, he's invested something like $13 million on refurbishing this hotel. Uh, it's got capacity for 600 people. There's a whole range of different bars and restaurants inside there. Yeah, okay. There's a big balcony outside. I've seen that, People yep. have already been out there, sitting out there, having a drink, looking over the city. And the front bar, which I walked past the other day, I didn't poke my head in, but I noticed the doors were open suddenly. It's very much that old school, you know, just like it was from the 1800s. Quite, looks great, you know. I love those ones. Yeah, and I think that's part of it, the fact that within the one building there's a whole range of options now. Great. And you see that in quite a few hospitality venues these days. It's not just yeah. one big room, but it's a whole range of choices. Yeah, no, absolutely. We'll have to go and uh, check that out. Mark, the federal government has uh, made some big funding commitments. Let's go through the detail on that. Scott Morrison announced a big infrastructure program during the week, and Western Australia was one of the big beneficiaries of that. Uh, nearly about $900 million of extra funding going into primarily road and rail projects. Uh, so look, once again, uh, it's a bit of a, uh, a booster to the local economy, uh, particularly the construction and contracting sector. There's about six new projects that have come on board, including a widening of the Mitchell Freeway um, up north and a new train station um, on the uh, Metronet line towards Mandurah. Yep. As well as Lake, that, Lakelands. I think, Lakelands. Yeah. That's right. As well as that, there's about eight other projects where they're bringing forward the works because of uh, the extra funding coming through. Yep. Uh, so these are things like the Bunbury Outer Ring Road, the Albany Ring Road, and new traffic bridge at Fremantle, um, yeah. and a whole bunch of regional roads. So look, a very significant boost. Um, comes on top of all the Metronet projects that the state government has been working towards. Um, so some of those big ones like the Ellenbrook Rail Line, um, the Thornley Line, the Yanship uh, Line, uh, none of which have got underway, but certainly the view is that over the next year or so they're they aiming to finalise right. okay. them. So we're starting to get to that sort of st infrastructure stimulus level that we've been seeing in some of the other states, maybe not quite that much, but starting to get at least something that resembles what the other states have had that have been something of a construction boom over there and got their economies going, right? Well, look, at the moment, uh, prior to this announcement, the annual spend on infrastructure projects in WA was about $4.5 billion. Yep. Um, now that's going up to about $5.4 Okay. So a very significant boost. Sorry, that was the average spend in the last few years, or that was what was expected to be spent? So this is... This, that was what was expected? Yeah, okay. So yeah, a significant boost to that. Yeah, right. Okay, no, good to hear. Um, now, uh, sticking with some big stuff, Woodside and BHP have made an agreement on the processing of the Scarborough gas field, or the gas from the Scarborough gas field. Um, big step forward? It is indeed. So, look, another example of uh, 
more investment in the pipeline, uh, no pun intended, uh, for Western Australia. So Scarborough and Browse are the two big gas projects that Woodside's been looking to develop, and they've been uh, challenged to get um, alignment with all of their joint venture partners on these two projects. Um, so the Scarborough field, um, it's off the Pilbara coast. Uh, the plan there is that the gas will be piped, there'll be a new pipeline that will come into the Pluto LNG plant, uh, which Woodside has already, and will underpin development of a second production train at Pluto. Mm. Uh, that's all up, about a $15 billion project, so very substantial. And yeah, one of the key deals was about what's the price that would be paid to process this gas. Yep. Um, and the complication is that uh, the ownership of the LNG plant and the ownership of the gas fields are different. So you've got to get all the partners aligned. And it's the same issue with the Browse gas fields. And the intention is that they will come into the Northwest Shelf Ventures uh, Karatha gas plant. Got it. And then ultimately, those two LNG plants, um, the Karatha and Pluto plants, which are pretty much next door to each other, there'll be a new pipeline that will connect them up. Yeah, got it. Uh, but yeah, a, a very significant uh, step forward. Um, I mean, it's not, a, it's not a final agreement, still a lot of work to be done. Um, they're looking to make a final investment decision in the first half of next year. Okay. Um, yeah, that's quite there simple. were some interesting differences, though, in the announcements that came out but from Woodside and BHP. Uh, Woodside's focus was on how this will underpin development of that second production train at Pluto, and that's obviously a very big investment. BHP said that the the two of them would still be evaluating the potential for the extra Scarborough gas to go into the Northwest Shelf Venture yeah. gas plant. Okay. So, in which BHP has an ownership stake in that gas plant. So, still a bit of argy bargy to go. Yep. Uh, but. Uh, Certainly an encouraging development. No worries. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, I still have that recollection of Scarborough being that field that was sort of beyond, nearly beyond reach, and one day we'll get there. So it's kind of interesting to hear that it's now, you know, not far away. Um, bringing ourselves, staying with the resources, but coming back to mining, there was some activity, well, there's some significant activity in the mining sector. It all signals pretty good news by the sounds of things, or most of it. So uh, let's start with, I think there's a, a contract to mine at Ravensthorpe. So the Ravensthorpe nickel mine, it's had a uh, an up and down history. This Volatile a, history. The mine that was originally developed by BHP, then they shut it down shortly after. Uh, then it was bought by First Quantum Minerals, a Canadian company, uh, but with a strong Perth presence. And then they shut it down in 2017 when the nickel price fell. I mean, this is all a function of a, a very volatile nickel price. Mm -hmm. First Quantum has been working away for some time to restart operations there. Now, it's going to be a very significant boost to that regional economy, all up about 550 jobs. And so the latest news on that front is that Macca, a Perth-based mining contractor, uh, their preferred contractor to go in there. So they're going to be taking on board about 230 people and due to start operations in January next year. Okay. So effectively, you know, it's sort of confirming our expectation that that operation is going to be up and running in the new year. So was that a straightforward... I recall there was a few issues around around that operation at the beginning, or is it a pretty straightforward mining operation? Some, the the some way BHP operated it, the process plant they had, mm. had some issues around it. 
but first quantum has sort of simplified the operation. So there aren't yeah. there aren't the technical issues that had been there at the start. Yeah, right. Um, it's really just about the the nickel price and the market. And of course, you know, ironically, it's uh, you know we had Eddie Hagel speaking at one of our events just a couple of months ago, and he runs Nickel West, which is a BHP division, and how well things are going. After you know, BHP nearly you know wanted to hive that off as well, and they've. You know that the turnaround in nickel has been amazing, um, mainly due to the the battery industry, right? Uh, that's right. Yep, nickel is a key ingredient in in long life batteries um, or lithium batteries. Mm. Um, now, the predominant yeah. ingredient, by the sounds of things. That's right. Yes. Now, not all nickel goes into batteries. Um, you know, different uh, types of nickel out there. Uh, but look, certainly, this is an encouraging, so, well, a very positive sign. It's it's going to happen. Yeah. The Ravensthorpe nickel mine is back up and running. Which is particularly timely mm. because lithium, of course, is another segment of the mining industry that is not doing so well at the moment. Yep. Uh, we had too much investment and quite a few people have had to pull back from their growth plans. One of those is Galaxy Resources. Uh, they've got the Mount Catlin lithium mine also at Ravensthorpe. Yep. So they're scaling back production. Right. So Might be a few jobs for people down at the nickel Absolutely. Mine. If you get laid off at one mine, you can walk over the road and hopefully get another job. <laughs> yeah, right. So that's sort of the, the one negative for the week. Um, but look, other positive news, uh, Poseidon Nickel, uh, they're a, a long-running company. Uh, they've got three um, assets, um, all former nickel mines. They announced during the week that they've recruited Peter Harold as their new chief executive. Yeah. Now, Peter is someone that we've had a lot of contact with. Um, I, knew, I knew he couldn't stay retired for very long. <laughs> well, that's right. He's, he's just left Panoramic Resources. After uh, 17, 18 years or something. Something like yeah. that, yeah. So um, he's bobbed up very quickly as new chief executive at, at Poseidon. Um, that's a company that Andrew Forrest is a major shareholder in um, through his squadron resources. Uh, they've also got Derek LaFurla as the new chairman. Uh, Derek, Derek's a very experienced company director. And this all comes at a time when Poseidon is getting very close to a restart decision on their Black Swan nickel mine. Got it. Um, now, look, it's not a huge operation, but nonetheless, it's that same sort of cyclical dynamic. Yeah. Um, you know, Mincor Resources is another one. You know, they shut down their nickel operations, yep. but back up and running again. Okay. Now, I was just going to remind listeners that the Poseidon that we're talking about is not the very famous, if, you know, if you've been in Western Australia a long time, there's a very famous Poseidon that, uh, you know, there was a large stock market crash in the very early 70s, I think, that undid uh, a lot of people's fortunes. Um, now, is it, it's got one of the same assets in there somewhere from recollection, is it? Or certainly not the same company anyway? Well, the company, that was what, very late 60s or very early 70s? I think it was, you're right, it was 68. Uh, no, it was 1970, I think it occurred. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, the famous Poseidon nickel boom. Yes. Spe- a speculative bubble. That's correct. That's yeah. correct. Anyway, which I think is why Twiggy liked the name, wasn't it? It was all sort of like, you know, bringing the history back. Yep. And, uh, and look, one more bit of positive news on the mining front. Um, Mineral Resources had their AGM during the week, and Chris Ellison, um, they're exposed to lithium, um, but they've also got other assets, including iron ore in the Yilgarn region, so out near Southern Cross. Mm. And he talked about a very substantial expansion project that they're looking at there. Um, these were the assets that used to be owned by Cliffs, the US company, yeah. and they decided that it was, there was no value there and they sold out. Um, Mineral Resources took over these assets, um, 
helped by uh, some state government concessions. Uh, but they're now looking at getting production back up to about 11 million tonnes per, okay. per annum, um, investing tens of millions of dollars in the region. Uh, so they certainly see a long-term future for those assets. So, you know, across different commodities, different regions, um, you know, a range of positive news on the mining front. Yeah, okay. No, that's uh, good to hear. And look, just staying there with mining, you also went on a site visit uh, this week to the Agnew Mine site near Leinster. Uh, what, did you, what did you see there? What was interesting? There's been a lot of investment in uh, remote power stations. Um, in fact, I heard an interesting stat on this visit. Uh, Bill Johnson, the, the energy minister, was up there. And about half of all the power generated in Western Australia is off the grid. Now, a lot of that's up in the Pilbara with the big iron ore mines. Yeah. And they've all got their own power stations. And it's a similar story for these little gold mines um, out the back of the gold fields, yeah. like this one. Now, this is an asset that's been running for many years, and uh, it's owned by Goldfields, a big international company. Um, and one of their senior executives uh, was up there, um, Stuart Matthews saying that the group has got a very positive view about this asset. They see a long-term future for it. And part of that is investing in their power generation. They're spending about 112 million. And the really interesting bit here, it's all about renewables. So they've gone from diesel to gas, yeah. like many miners. They've now completed construction of um, a solar power station. So there's a large array of solar panels there and they're in the midst of constructing um, wind turbines. So this will be the first mining operation that'll have wind power as well. Okay. And the key to these things is the smarts behind it. You've got to be able to integrate all these different sources of power. They'll also have a battery up there um, so that you know, if the cloud cover comes over or the, uh, the wind drops away, um, the battery kicks in, yep. they crank up the gas-fired power station and the mining operation continues. So in a way, it's sort of it was a, a pointer to the future for the mining industry. Yeah. Um, there's quite a few mining operations where they're adding solar uh, to their existing gas or diesel, uh, but this one's gone a step further and adding wind. I'm curious about that statement off the grid because they they've got a gas pipeline going by, obviously, and they can tap into that. And I know that when we talk about grid, we're talking about the southwest interconnected system with where we're talking about electricity being delivered on wires, right? Right out to Kalgoorlie. But, well, but though is, in this is, case, is a gas pipeline not part of a grid, well, so to speak? Well, but there are no power lines to plug into. No, I understand you that. You still need so, your own So local. you've got to generate your own power from yes. the gas. Yes. I, and, and I understand that. It's just, a, it's just an interesting concept, that's all. Because, uh, you know, there's, there's in, I kind of think of off the grid as something that's, you are on your own. <laughs> <laughs> no, not quite that off the grid. No, got it, got it. Um, now, you and I both attended the Pastoralists and Graziers Association run uh, Ag Day Forum, which was uh, underwritten, I think, by Hancock Prospecting. What did you pick up from the sessions that you facilitated there, Mark? Uh, look, really interesting discussion. Uh, one bit of a debate around red tape. Uh, Gina Reinhardt, um, as you say, a sponsor of the event, um, did a presentation, a video presentation, uh, talking about the uh, need to get rid of red tape and green tape. Um, got a very um, forthright response from Alana McTiernan, yeah, right. who talked about, well, no, it's actually it's all about a partnership between industry and government, and in particular the importance of government 
to do things like the R&D, about new product development, but also about um, the regulatory role of government in maintaining um, biosecurity in Western Australia, yeah, or right. Australia generally. Um, and that was a theme that came through. That, the, sorry, one of, the, one of the great assets, of course, of Australia is that we are physically removed um, and we can produce clean, green product. Um, now, one of the topics that came up was um, African swine fever, uh, which is uh, decimating the pork industry yep. um, in many places around the world. And there's a lot of concern in the industry about whether Australia is doing enough to ensure that uh, we don't get affected by that. Yep. Uh, a lot of talk about in the grain sector, um, how that's really profoundly changed. Uh, the Black Sea producers, Russia and Ukraine... Got their act together, right? really got their act together, substantially increased their production, and pushing into markets like Indonesia, yeah. where Australia traditionally has been the big supplier. Yeah, got it. Um, similarly, South America, the Argentinians, they're um, increasing their production and they're going to be seen as a bigger competitive challenge. So there was a lot of commentary about uh, not just getting a commodity and getting it out into the global market, but about finding specialist opportunities about value adding, and that includes for grain growers. Um, But also there was a great presentation, a company I'd not been familiar with, uh, Thomas Foods International out of South Australia. Uh, Very big family-owned Uh, meat production business. Um, One of the things they talked about was the importance of provenance and the use of blockchain technology uh, to to go the the whole paddock to plate concept. Yeah, which came up um, in the afternoon when I was there, Mark, because Austral Fisheries was there and of course they're doing a similar thing with their, uh, the way they, you can track their uh, toothfish, Patagonian toothfish for instance. Um, and similar themes, actually, Mark, uh, in, in the afternoon, we did distribution and retail elements. And uh, I think the, the retail side, the regulation side, you know, being able to be a retailer and the, the uh, restrictions around things that you can do and the cost of labour was, was a big issue. Um, Tony Gallardi there from Spud Shed talking about how they've grown really quickly in, in retail, but they're probably going to have a little a growth break, so to speak, because they're struggling now to kind of, you know, it's a labour-orientated business, um, and looking at more export as an opportunity. Um, funnily enough, Mark Mazza at uh, Southwest Express, talking in the logistics business, he's really pro, uh, you want to call it, compliance and regulation, and, you know, he's a big operator, and I often find the big guys often are. But he he's makes a point with trucking, which is what he's in, that effectively their business... Their place of business is the public roads, and uh, you need professionalism. Otherwise, you know, you only need one error, and it all gets very ugly. Um, but generally speaking, uh, the other comment was around the opportunity there. Uh, China, Middle East, really massive opportunities. And uh, one of the presenters, uh, I'm going to remember now who it was, was talking about how, um, uh, I think it was... Oh, gee, now, oh, forgive me, I can't remember who it was. Um, the, I think it was John Orr, that's right, John Orr from Premium Grain Handlers. Now, he was talking about the fact that there's really big demand, there's growth in oats, right? That, that the, the Asia and, and Middle East is learning that oats is a really great, you know, food, uh, but he can't, or WA producers aren't shifting quick enough to produce enough of this stuff. And he says, just like you said, 
the, ch- the chances are someone else will pick up that market and they just become the preferred supplier. So quite interesting how we've got to learn to react quickly to these opportunities. And it's, it, it goes right back to the farmers. So what they grow in the paddock yeah. and then deliver to the processors. Yeah, and, and they've got to... And they've got to take the risk of shifting and, you know, and you've got to hope that not too many people shift in the same direction at the same time, otherwise you might get too much supply. It's it's a tricky business. Hmm. All right, well, look, uh, moving right along. Our special report this week is on disability employment. Just Um, before we come to that one. Oh, sorry. Look, a bit more positive news. Ah. We've already talked about uh, infrastructure projects. We've talked about uh, mining projects. Uh, We've talked about LNG, um, hotels, apartments. Oh, yeah, sorry, I did uh, like, I did skip one, didn't I? <laughs> Look, I just think it's worth noting uh, two very major developments are set to go ahead in the apartment space. Uh, Serona Capital, they've got a $100 million project in South Perth, uh, the Lyle Street Residences, 37-storey uh, project. Now, like a lot of apartments in South Perth, it's been contentious. Uh, this is the third iteration of this project but they finally got it through the development assessment panel there, and so they're all set to go. And the other one, um, Iris Residential, they've got a project at Claremont on the Park, the old Claremont Oval site. Once again, um, all sorts of regulatory issues that they've encountered. It got knocked back last year by the development assessment panel. They appealed that to the State Administrative Tribunal, and during the week, the SAT came out and said, you're all set to go. Yeah, right. And one thing I found interesting is that in their assessment, the the tribunal members talked about the fact that you've got to balance uh, lot yield um, with maintaining the the human scale of the buildings and so on. They said, look, Claremont has changed already, and particularly that precinct. Mm. There's a whole bunch of apartments going up there. So their view is the balance has shifted. You know, the world has changed. So it's interesting commentary from the tribunal in their thinking. Uh, Simon Trevison was encouraged by the fact that this was the first um, SAT decision based on the state government's new uh, design WA planning policy. So he was pleased by that. And one of the positives, or one of the aspects of that is around the sustainability features of it. Um, You know, increased amount of light and, and natural heating coming into it. And that was acknowledged quite explicitly by the tribunal. Yep. So some positive news on the apartment front. No, definitely, and more good news, as you say. And uh, as I was saying before, our special report this week is on disability employment. Just quickly, what did Maddie Stevens find there? Well, look, she's got some stats there about how hard it is for people with a disability to gain employment. So she's talked to a whole range of businesses about some of the things that they're doing and some of the programs in place. So people like BHP, Deloitte, Bankwest, um, Hexagon Mining, Woodside, all got programs in place. Um, and this is everything from people with a physical disability, like being in a wheelchair, through to people that are have on the autism spectrum, yep. who might have some challenges, but actually have some unique skills that they can con- contribute to a workplace. And presumably some of these businesses are saying how they go about it and, and some of the steps they've taken. To there's, make some, it all there's some great case studies there so that people can learn about what needs to be done. Yep. And there's also some great tools that have been developed. You know, there's an app out there so that you can do an assessment of your workplace to mm-hmm. see how... Um, friendly it is for people with disabilities yeah so right a good read yeah no fair enough and look you know with this all this good news going on and with already existing skill shortage in certain areas maybe 
you know, we'll see a time again where, you know, people have got to consider all their options when it comes to getting, uh, getting the right people and getting people who can do the job. Uh, thanks, Mark. Appreciate that. Are you a subscriber to Business News? Behind our paywall, you'll find a wealth of data in our BNIQ search engine, which has information and article links to thousands of people and companies based in WA, the vast majority being information you can't easily get elsewhere. Go to businessnews.com.au and hit subscribe to learn more. Thanks for listening to Mark My Words with Mark Powell and Mark Bayer from Business News. For more information, please go to businessnews.com.au forward slash podcasts. And to receive these regularly, search for Business News WA in iTunes or SoundCloud.